everybody. Uh, so good to see you. Uh, welcome, everybody, um, on, online over in, in Pewaukee and uh, here in uh, Waukesha. How are you guys feeling uh, today? Feeling good? Got that extra hour of rest? Good. Good to see you. Thanks for coming to church. If you're new or if you've attended for really any length of time and uh, you want to find out more uh, about River Glen and have never attended uh, uh, the Welcome Brunch, this is your next uh, steps coming up next uh, Sunday, 1030, uh, both campuses. Uh, we just think it's really important for everybody to know what our church is about. This is where you go to find out about our, our vision, our mission, our, our beliefs, our plans for the future, get your questions answered. We give you uh, a, a free uh, brunch, child care. You get a free shirt like this one right here uh, that I'm wearing for you uh, today. So hope you'll, uh, I think you'll have a great time. Hope you'll join us. You can go ahead and sign up right now. You can take out, out your phone, scan the, the uh, code, QR code in front of you, or you can just stop at the Welcome Center and uh, get signed up. Well, today we begin a, uh, a new series called Achilles, and uh, if you're familiar with uh, uh, Greek history, Greek mythology, or maybe you saw the movie Troy uh, that came out a, a few years ago, you know that Achilles was really the dominant warrior uh, for the Greeks. He was invincible. He was unbeatable. He could withstand any strike uh, on, to his body, but he had one area of weakness. Yeah, here's what happened. Here's the story. Legend tells us that his mom uh, dipped him in some water as a baby when he, uh, to receive some supernatural powers. And when she did that, she held him by the foot, but his heel uh, never made it all the way under. And so you could strike him in the head, strike him in the arm, the body, the leg, he would withstand it. But you strike him in the heel, and it would lead to his uh, demise. And that's exactly what happened in the Trojan War. There's a warrior named Paris who launches a single arrow and strikes Achilles, or Brad Pitt, if you saw the movie uh, Troy, strikes Brad Pitt in the heel. And it destroys him. And nowadays, you know, we take that term Achilles and we use it to refer to that tendon <clears throat> that runs along uh, behind your heel. And we know that if you injure your Achilles, uh, that's, that can really be uh, devastating. I remember watching the NBA Finals <clears throat> a few years ago, 2019. Steve Kerr, the coach, uh, decided in game five to put Kevin Durant into the game, maybe a little too early. He was still recovering from a previous injury. And uh, maybe some of you remember this. Kevin Durant falls down, ruptures his Achilles, has surgery, and he sits out 553 days uh, recovering. He comes back, and he's played. Kevin Durant's played really, really well. But many times, players who rupture their Achilles, they never return to the same level of play. It seems like such a small little part of our body, but if we injure it, it can be uh, devastating. And so, and so nowadays we use that term Achilles heel, and we use it to refer uh, not just to a, a physical injury, but to a weakness, to a character flaw. And, and, and we say, you know, if they don't get their hand, if they don't get a handle on that, uh, that could become their Achilles heel. And what we mean is that issue, that seemingly small issue, it could bring them down. It could take them down and destroy uh, their life. But did you know that Scripture tells us that all of us have an Achilles heel? Over and over, the Scripture tells us that all of us have this Achilles heel. 
and we need to keep an eye on it because if we don't get it under control more than anything else, it can, it can bring us uh, down. You want to know what it is? According to Scripture, our Achilles heel is pride. And I know some of you right now are probably going, pride? Really? You know what, pride? That doesn't seem like uh, that big of a deal. You know, I'm proud of my, my kids. But the Bible has more than 100 verses that talk about how pride is our Achilles heel. And the opposite of pride is humility. Proverbs 11 says, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. If I could boil down this series to one phrase, it would be this. It's not about me. It's not about me. And if it is, it leads to disgrace and embarrassment. Don Shula was the legendary head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Super Bowl winning NFL team for 25 years. He coached them, only had two losing seasons during that entire uh, time. Uh, well before he uh, passed away, he and his wife uh, took a vacation trip to Maine, state of Maine, which is a long way from Florida. And they walked into a movie theater, and the people in the theater began to applaud and uh, cheer for them. Uh, Don Shula turns to his wife and goes, man, I can't believe they even recognize me here in the state of Maine. I can't go anywhere without getting recognized. Well, the guy two seats over had kind of a funny look on his face. He turned to Coach Shula and he said, uh, I don't know who you are, but uh, the manager came in before you and said he wouldn't start the movie until we had 10 people. And when you guys came in, you were numbers 9 and 10. That's why we applauded and went crazy. Pride leads to disgrace and embarrassment. Here's one more just for fun. Take a look. Yeah, that hurts. Pride hurts. Now, I want to be clear, okay? Uh, pride in and of itself is not necessarily uh, sinful. I mean, you can be proud to receive a promotion, proud of our country, proud of your uh, kids. I mean, it's okay to feel good and confident and, and proud. But, but here's what's true. Pride becomes sinful when our feelings, accomplishments, and values are detached from God. Sinful pride has a misplaced sense of, of worth. For example, healthy pride is saying, God, thank you for this promotion. I know I worked hard, but every good and perfect gift comes from you. Sinful pride is thinking, darn right, about time they recognize my greatness. Healthy pride is thinking, God, uh, thank you for uh, giving my kids uh, creativity, intellect, athletic ability. No matter their success, help them to always recognize that their worth is found in you. Uh, sinful pride, especially when our kids get on our nerves, sinful pride says, man, uh, you guys hit the jackpot when you got us for parents. Aren't you glad that we gave you our DNA? Sinful Pride. But here's the problem. Very often, it's, it's really difficult to, to detect the difference between healthy pride and sinful pride within ourselves. It, it's very subtle, but it is super incredibly important to identify the difference because sinful pride can be dangerously destructive. It is our Achilles heel. Now, you might be thinking, well, who cares? I mean, if I have a little extra pride. Who cares if my confidence goes a little bit uh, too far? We tend to think of the big sins, 
You know, don't murder, don't steal, avoid sexual immorality. But rarely does pride, do we list pride as one of the biggies. But take a look at some verses from the Bible about pride, sinful pride. Proverbs 16 says, the Lord detests the proud. This next one from the book of James. This, this verse is so important. It actually occurs three times um, in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. God opposes the, the proud. And then Proverbs uh, 16 says, pride goes before destruction. According to the Bible, sinful pride is at the root of all sin. Think about it. We start thinking, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I don't, uh, I don't need God's help as, as, our, as our feelings, accomplishments, and values are detached from God. We begin to believe that we don't need him. Maybe we're even more powerful than God. And we start to live our life in this elevated position above others. And we, and we look down at, at other people ignoring God and God's ways. And when we're in this elevated, powerful position, we get tempted, tempted to, to lie because we think I'm in uh, control, tempted to have an affair because I don't really care how it affects other people, because, because we're above others uh, looking down at everyone. But God didn't make us to live in a powerful, elevated position like this. God made us to live down here, looking up to him in submission and surrender. I'll tell you why sinful pride is so difficult to detect and so dangerously destructive is because we either choose to step off the ladder or we fall off the ladder. Let me give you three uh, warning signs that pride, sinful pride, might be a, a struggle. Here's the first one. We think, I don't need help. I don't need help. You know, ask yourself, uh, how difficult is it, is it for me to ask for help from others? Pride gets in the way of asking for help from others and from God. Sometimes my wife and I will disagree about whether to use Google, Google Maps. We'll, we'll get in the car, I'm behind the wheel, and she'll say, do, do you know how to get where we're going? And immediately, I confidently say yes, even though I have no idea how to get uh, where we're going. That's sinful pride. My wife, you know, she likes to use Google Maps even when she's been to a place a hundred times. And I'll make fun of her, but, but sometimes Google Maps shows us there's a road closing or there's a traffic jam and we find a better way. But my pride gets in the way of asking for help. Some of us, we have no problem giving help to others. But when it comes to asking others for help, uh, no way. You know, maybe it's because we think we've got it all figured out or it feels too vulnerable to ask for that. Or maybe we're just not open to ad advice. We see this all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God says to Adam, you can eat anything you want. Just don't eat fruit from that tree. And Adam tells Eve, you know, we can eat whatever we want, just not fruit from that tree. Then Satan comes along and whispers, into, whispers lies to Eve and says, you can eat that fruit from that tree. You're not going to die. In fact, you'll become more like God and you won't need him at all. And so Eve eats the fruit, Adam eats the fruit, and sin, this desire to do something other than what God wants us to do. Sin enters into humanity. But as I read that story, as I thought about it, I wonder what would have happened if Adam and Eve had paused and asked each other for help. I wonder what would have happened if Adam and Eve had paused and asked God 
for help. Psalm 10 says this, in his pride, uh, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Ask yourself, when was the last time you acknowledged your need for God? There's something healthy about that. When was the last time you acknowledged your need for God's help? If you, if you can't remember, pride might be uh, an issue. Another warning sign, we tend to think, yeah, I know more than you. I know more than you. Jim Collins is an author, a business consultant, and speaker who studied what makes the best leaders of top organizations. And typically, we think of the best leaders as those who command a room and wear you know, $10,000 suits, uh, booming voices, and incredible intellect. But Collins found out, that, that's, not what, that's not what Collins found. Uh, Collins found that the, the, the best of the best leaders, what he calls level five uh, leaders, uh, they possess two qualities, these two right here, grit and humility. I mean, they're, they're, they're very gritty, uh, they're very driven, but they're driven by the cause, the mission of the organization, not self-promotion. And, and they weren't flashy or gifted with genius-level intellect. Instead, they were humble, ordinary people, and that's what made them the best uh, leaders. Collins writes this. He says, the good to great leaders never wanted to become larger-than-life heroes. They never aspired to be put on a pedestal or become unreachable icons. No, the best leaders, they were seemingly ordinary people quietly producing extraordinary results. I got to spend time uh, recently with someone that I would consider a level five leader. A, a group of us from staff got to spend some time with some leaders at a great church in Minnesota. It's called Eagle Brook Church. Maybe, uh, prob probably not many of you have heard of it. They don't do a lot of self-promotion, but they are making a huge impact for Jesus in the Twin Cities, and they've got a big heart for helping churches like River Glen. I've got to know one of their leaders who's served there for 22 years, helping grow and build uh, that church. He's an expert on, on leadership, but he, but he does something little that impressed me. When he meets with people, he brings along a notebook and a pen, a paper notebook. He's kind of old school. I mean, you could do this with your notes app on your phone or tablet. He listens to people, and he takes he takes notes. I mean, he knows a lot, but he doesn't act like a know-it-all. He listens, and he learns, and he grows, and he serves other, other people. Ask yourself, do I believe there's more for me to learn? Do I believe that there are more ways for me to grow? Ne next time you uh, sit in a meeting, next time you enter a room, next time you listen to a podcast, check your spirit. And if you're like, you know, I know this already. I've heard this before. If you think you know more than most, pride might be an, an issue. Now, maybe you're thinking at this point, you know, Ben, it sounds like a lot of people struggle with, with, with pride. And um, man, it's really good that you're talking about this today. And I'm really glad my, my father-in-law is here to hear this uh, message. But I'm good. I'm, I'm good. But if you're thinking that, that you don't struggle with uh, pride, uh, unfortunately, that's another warning sign. It's thinking, yeah, this doesn't apply uh, to me. I'm above the need to check my pride. I'm above the need to work on uh, humility. He, Muhammad Ali is considered the greatest boxer of all time. He would, he would go around, he would shout, I am the greatest. There's an old story that he was on an airplane, and the flight attendant walked by and said, Mr. Ali, you need to fasten your seatbelt. And uh, he, Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. 
And the flight attendant said, Superman don't need no airplane either. Fasten up. Buckle up. And uh, Ali buckled up. But I wonder, in what area of your life, you know, do you think Superman don't need no seatbelt? You know, sometimes, sometimes with sinful pride, we, we begin to think that we're elite. You know, that we're above, you know, working on this. That we don't need to, to work on uh, humility. But if anybody feels that way, be warned. It's a warning sign. And I think this is especially tempting um, for everybody, but especially for leaders and pastors and, and people uh, like me. There could be a subtle uh, temptation for leaders and pastors uh, to start thinking, you know, um, uh, God gave me this platform. God gave me authority because I'm his favorite. And that's not true at all. You know, if you have a leadership role, God gave you uh, that role. God gave you authority. God gave you a platform to serve other people, to help other people. I don't know if you've ever noticed a wheat field. In a wheat field, there'll be some stems that stand tall above uh, the others, wheat stems. And then there'll be other wheat stems that, that bend over, that bend uh, low. And, and you might think that the healthiest wheat stems would be those that stand uh, tall. But a farmer will tell you that, that the reason they stand tall is because they're lightheaded. And they don't have many kernels of wheat. And they're, they're, they're almost good for nothing. But those stems, wheat stems, that bend over and hang their heads low, they do so because they're full of beautiful grain. And as Christians, we should be like those stems full of beautiful grain. The more uh, we grow, the white, riper we, we grow, the, the, the more we bend low and serve other people out of humility. But it's so easy, not just for leaders and pastors, but for any of us to start believing, you know what, I'm, I'm God's favorite, I'm elite, and this teaching on pride doesn't apply to me. And that's why you and I, we need people in our life close to us to call out our, our, our pride and, and to hold us uh, accountable. I need to check my pride every single day, and so do you. So before we go any further, take, take a moment. Ask yourself these questions. Is there any area of life where you're refusing to ask for help? It's hard to, to reach out. It, it's hard to ad, ad, admit. And, and then ask yourself, is there an area of life where you've, where you've elevated yourself above others? Maybe it's people you live with, people you work with, people you see on the, walking on the street or you see them on the news. Is there something inside of you that has elevated you above other people. You look down at others. And then ask yourself, uh, when's the last time that you acknowledged your need for God? Now, it's one thing to admit, you know, that we struggle with pride, but it's another thing to actively seek humility. Proverbs 22 says this, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and, and life. If we're going to win this battle against pride and, and seek humility, it starts right here with the fear of the Lord. That means that we respect the Lord. We respect God. We put God first above everything else. You know, if we don't start there, uh, we don't stand a chance. How, however, easier said than done. Uh, um, un unfortunately, you know, we don't just uh, fear the Lord and snap our fingers and become humble. Humility is something that we need 
uh, to work on. So I want to give us three practical ways that we can all seek humility. Here's the first one. Pass the credit. Pass the credit. Let's be honest. All of us like to get recognized for our accomplishments. It feels good to get recognized. But if you're like me, we tend to take more credit for things than we should. And the reason is because we think we had more to, to do with it than we actually did. Is it possible at times that we have an inflated view of ourselves? There's a uh, dating website that uh, asked a, a, a bunch of questions to help match profiles. And one of the questions was, are you a genius? Are you a genius? And two out of every five men said, you know what? Yeah, you know, back me into a corner. I'm a genius. I am. Yeah, statistically, one out of a thousand people are geniuses. Two out of every five men said they're uh, geniuses. I'm guilty living with an inflated view of myself. And I'm guilty of wanting credit in areas that I don't deserve. Sometimes I'll Sometimes people, someone will come up to me and, and uh, thank me for an event our church did or thank me for uh, something that we did in one of our weekend services, but I know it wasn't my I- idea. And I feel that tension in my spirit. And sometimes I do the right thing and I pass the credit, but not every time. Sometimes I can be really annoying at home. You know, I'll come home and I'll just kind of brag uh, to my wife about something successful we did at church, and you know, I'll tell her, you know, that was my idea right here. And she'll roll her eyes sarcastically and go, Well, aren't you amazing? You know, you are so good. <clears throat> it's annoying, um, it, 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 it's annoying when someone takes too much credit. Nobody likes the person who takes all the credit, it hurts our relationships. And it hurts our relationship with Jesus. Look at what Jesus had to say about this. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. To be exalted is to be lifted up. But notice, the more we lower ourselves, the more Jesus will lift us up and exalt us, even in ways we may not recognize. And I think this also applies to our relationships. The more that we lower ourselves, the more space that it gives for other people to be exalted, other people to be lifted up. So here's a few ways that we can do this practically. Go out of your way to point out how other people contributed to a a, a successful project that that you worked on. Acknowledge your your, your spouse, what your spouse does for you in in, in public. Praise them to others. Uh, Make other people the hero of the story that you're telling. How about this? Do some things anonymously. Give someone a generous gift card without a name attached to it. Pray for someone and don't tell them. Um, It's hard to get credit when when we're anonymous. Look for ways to exalt others. And then here's a second way to seek humility. Ask this question, what can I do better uh, for you? Because it's hard to, to, to be prideful when we give other people permission uh, to tell us our weaknesses. This is a great question to ask your spouse or fiance or somebody close to you. What can I do better for you? But I'll just tell you, it's hard, okay? Try it sometime. My wife Marnie and I, sometimes when we go on a date night, we'll ask each other this question and we'll kind of swallow our, our, our tongue. You know, what can I do better, you know, for you? You don't have anything, right? What can I do better for you? But when we, 
genuinely, humbly ask this question. I mean, it always leads to a great conversation and feedback on, on, on how we can do better for each other. That's humbling. It's a great question to ask your kids. Even if you have little kids, periodically ask them, what can we do better for you as parents? That's humbling. I got some feedback uh, this summer that humbled me. I, I, I asked um, uh, 19 people. Uh, I emailed them a, a form. Uh, some of my family, including my kids, some staff, some leaders in our church. And I basically asked them this question, what can I do better uh, for you? And, and they wrote their responses for me. And um, it, it was humbling, but it was so it was so helpful. I mean, they really put a lot of thought into it and, and tried to help me grow as a person and a leader. Um, Paul writes this. He says, in humility, value others above yourselves, not in looking down, or not looking to your own interest, but each other, each of you to the interest of others. And a great way to do that uh, with people close to you is, is to just ask them, what can I do better for you? And when they respond, you follow through. And you actually do it, which leads to the third and final way to seek humility. Grab a towel and serve. Perhaps the best antidote to pride. The best way to actively seek humility is, is to grab a towel and serve other people. In John chapter 13, we, uh, Jesus is sitting around a, a table with his 12 disciples. It's the week that he would be arrested, betrayed and crucified. And this is what John writes to describe the scene. He said, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You know, you talk about power and status. Look at this. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He's got all the power in the world. And what does he choose to do with that power? Well, he got up he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You know, 2,000 years ago, they walked on dirt roads. They wore sandals. Their feet got dirty. And so when they would come in for dinner, they would have a servant there to wash their feet before they, before they uh, ate. But here's Jesus, all the power in the world uh, from God, returning to God. And he grabs a towel, wraps it around his waist, and he washes the dirty feet of his disciples. By the way, right before this, the disciples argued among themselves about which one of them was the greatest, like elementary age students trying to run to the front of the line. You know, I'm first. No, I'm first. No, it's me. Jesus had enough of that. And so he lowered himself. He took the position of a servant, and he washed their feet. And when he finished, he said this, do as I have done for you. You want to seek humility? Grab a towel and serve. Jesus said, yeah, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your, your, your slave. You want to deal with pride? Perhaps the best way is to serve others. Volunteer. Not to build your resume or advance your career or gain fame. Do it because Jesus commands us. To do it, you can serve here at the church. You know, volunteer. You could hold, go hold a baby. You can go and pack meals with us in a, in a couple weeks, and help feed the, the hungry. You can go lead a, a, a group of a small group of middle school boys. Go on the winter retreat coming up in January. Go with them for forty eight hours, uh, where they don't shower or use soap or deodorant or or sleep, and and you'll have a special place in heaven waiting. 
um, for you. No, don't, don't do it for that. Don't do it for that. Wise people, wise people um, grab a towel and serve. Wise people seek humility. We're going to um, share communion in a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And then during this next song, we invite you to take communion. Our communion is open to anybody who follows Jesus. Communion symbolizes the, the love and the sacrifice and the humility of, of Jesus. The bread represents Christ's body. The juice represents Christ's blood and how he gave his life for us. I want to read the rest of the scripture to you that describes the humility and the sacrifice of Jesus before, before prayer and communion. Have the same mindset, Paul says, as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me pray for us. God, we know that pride gets in the way. It, it gets in the way of realizing our need for others. But most importantly, it gets in, it gets in the way of realizing our need uh, for you. And so we're grateful for the reminder that you've given us today. And for showing us the way to live and walk in humility. And we're grateful for your sacrifice, for your death and resurrection so that we can have life. And so that we can experience life to the full. God, but God, we ask for your help today. And, and in all the days ahead, would you help us live in humility? Help us walk in humility like Jesus. We ask for your help in all of it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.